Welcome to episode 49 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. To check out all the shows, search for STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Store, and you can download an app that will allow you to listen to all the episodes, check out the show notes, and share the episode with somebody who you think might need to hear it. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member, veteran, and military family suicide. As we're coming to the end of the series, we wanted to take an opportunity to reflect on the show and what we put together this far. Towards that goal, we wanted to bring on a guest who has listened to the series and have a conversation about why this is important and how this has helped him dig deeper into the topic of suicide prevention for service members, veterans, and their families. Shauna, what can you tell us about today's guest? So Chris Jakomik is a recently retired member of the United States Air Force. Over the course of his 20-year career, he served in multiple military leadership roles in Nevada, Germany, and Korea, and is a veteran of the war in Afghanistan. He was named the Air Combat Command First Sergeant of the Year in 2016. In July 2017, he lost his brother, Adam. Lance Corporal Adam Jokomik, United States Marine Corps, died by suicide after a courageous battle with PTSD. As a wounded warrior himself, Chris dedicates his life to finding and utilizing multiple pathways to recovery from mental health issues, grief, and trauma. Chris is a Warrior Games athlete and distinguished member of the Governor's and Mayor's Challenge teams in Nevada and Las Vegas. He has recently been named the first Prevents Ambassador for Nevada and is working with Senator Jackie Rosen on legislation for veterans issues. Let's hear what he has to say. Yes, I really appreciate not just Chris's feedback in the show so far, but also just his dedication to the topic. So we'll get into my conversation with Chris and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. So I'm really appreciative to be able to have you come on the show because you have lived experience as a service member yourself, as a family member yourself, as a leader. I'd like to start off a little bit with your story and why suicide is so important with you, Chris. Thanks, Dwayne. And I appreciate that over the years that we'd be able to become friends and have these conversations around suicide, especially with the line of work that you've done with your own podcast and then the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast. So for those listening in is I'm retired Master Sergeant Chris Jackamick. I served 20 years in the United States Air Force and served in multiple roles there. It started out as security forces. So I understand the law enforcement aspect a little bit of the suicide prevention. And this was early on. This was pre 9-11. So I understood the changes that would happen to how we would go from a relatively peacetime era going on deployments to, say, Kuwait to support some of the no-fly zone missions. But then, like, as soon as 9-11 happened, the whole world of the military upended itself. And then in the Air Force, we debated for times that we would go back and call it life skills or mental health. And that was a long-term debate. I had some incidents at that Fairchild Air Force Base that really changed that. But over the course of my career, I'd go into communications and then I would work with the drone mission at Creech Air Force Base and understanding that and how a different sort of mission set can affect the brain and trauma from a uh, virtual environment fighting combat from basically a box doing a remote mission just up the street and you would drive home at the end of the day after seeing combat during the height of uh, the Iraq and the uh, Afghanistan campaigns. And then I would go on there, I'd, I'd work in some executive positions, supporting some senior enlisted folk, and then I'd become an Air Force First Sergeant to where I would really dive into is being my job is there as a First Sergeant is 
the mantra of my job is people, everyone's my business. So we would get into there and, and I'd be a first responder to some suicide ideation, some suicide attempts, take some of these airmen that I was responsible for and escort them to mental health facilities and then be there when they were discharged from that. But while serving in that role in 2017, I would lose my own brother, Lance Corporal Adam Jackamick from the United States Marine Corps to suicide. And he had gotten out of the Marine Corps several years prior and then struggled with his own transition out of the service. And from that day on, that really changed my life and my career. I'd go and grieve the loss of my own brother and get into this thing to where I thought to myself is, I could save all these airmen, but I couldn't save anybody in my own family. And I was deeply impacted by that. And the grief I had there is, it really kind of shocked me. My career was on the upswing. I had made E8 in the Air Force as a first sergeant, which is a pretty hard thing to do. I was named the major command first sergeant of the year. So my career was really on the upswing. And then all of a sudden the traumatic shock of losing him changed things. My unit, I'd come back after uh, his funeral. We'd respond to the hurricanes in, in Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico during that time frame. And then about 60 days after we lost my brother, I was stationed here in Las Vegas and we'd experienced the Mandalay Bay shooting. I'd spent the majority of my military career out in Las Vegas and then have that familiarize itself with one of the worst mass shootings in American history set you back. So in the middle of losing my own brother, there's another traumatic event that happens and it would just fire a lot of control there. A couple months later, I would lose uh, one of my peer first sergeants that I worked with at a uh, aircraft maintenance unit. He would die by suicide. And then on the day of his funeral, an airman that I had deployed with and supervised at a downrange location would uh, take his own life and his family with him as well. So this happened all in a six-month period and really kind of got me out of, out of control and, and disrupted the path. And I ended up becoming a consumer of mental health services in the military after that and needed to get help for my, myself. And, and see, and, and it's interesting to hear the idea that you had this career. Like me, you spanned pre-9-11, post-9-11. So you saw seismic shifts in how we approached mental health. And, and just like you said, the mission changed overnight, but then also deployments, leadership, exposed to the aftermath of natural disasters, which many people aren't aware of. That's also a common traumatic stressor. And then just this repeated traumatic loss. Many people will go years without experiencing a loss by suicide, but you didn't even go months without experiencing a loss by suicide. And ultimately, not becoming a casualty to that yourself, but really coming out of it with a newfound hope and purpose related to addressing this, not just in your own life, but in the veteran community. Yeah, and I think that's the definition of post-traumatic growth there. I didn't move through this in a very efficient manner is I struggled with alcohol pretty bad for a time period. And then that's what really got me down is because I was self-medicating with that. And we see this in the veteran community is when we go through trauma such as that is, as we're quick to self-medicate or utilize something else to, to process it. And, and I think that's where the biggest lessons can be learned is in the veteran community, that hope is possible. There are uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and uh, our Coast Guardsmen who have gone through similar experiences. And when you need to lean on it, it's your man or your woman to your left or your right that has a similar shared lived experience that may be the most profound change for you is just talking to somebody who's been there as well, too. We've got great programs that have been built up through 
resiliency initiatives in, in all branches of service to the robustment of some of these programs within the DOD suicide prevention office and at all lengths. And I, I think one that comes to mind for me, and, and they really attune to the special operations community, and that's the preservation of the force and family program. Because not only do we have to care about the service member as what we would call in some regards, the human weapons system that the military runs on human beings, it doesn't run on machines and equipment. But then we also have to support the family in there as well, too. And that's often overlooked. But I appreciate what you and Shauna have done on the podcast is really addressing that because the, the military members, our spouses, our significant others, per se, and then our children serve alongside with us. So you've taken that full approach to where, like the branches of service, we're finally getting after this as a full family approach because all families serve together. Well, I agree. And I think uh, at the end of my career, uh, so I retired in 14, the last several two and a half years were with 10th Group and POTIF was a thing. So preservation of the force and family was part of that is let's have these conversations. And Sean and I were definitely encouraged by Military Times wanting to have this. But for you as a suicide loss survivor, this show is a very narrowly topicked show. So a niche topic, suicide prevention for a niche audience, military service members and, and veterans. But that's you, right? You are a service member who was looking for more information on suicide prevention for service members, veterans and their families. And this show came along for you at a time where you were really looking to, to understand the topic deeper. You know, it, it definitely did. And a lot of the things that I was getting into and the guests that you have on have, have become in really good friends of mine that I've been able to communicate with what, what's going on. And I guess one of my biggest regrets is in the Air Force. I like talking about the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, me serving in a leadership role. I didn't know about them. And then eventually I would come to learn of them through actually one of my mental health counselors on the base that I was seeking care. And as a first sergeant, I was like, I should have known this resource. But then I reached out to it on my own and was able to get a lot of healing and help through them. And it's very good that Shauna's had the connection there. And then you've had Kim Rolko on the podcast and, and everything. And it's really we when we get in there is I'm lucky I'm probably still here today because of some of the intervention efforts in the postvention model that TAPS has is they saved my life because I, I found somebody that I could connect with. And it didn't exist in the uh, Air Force or any branch of service to the best of my understanding. So I had to seek this outside care. And I found comfort and found peace, especially among the sibling loss survivors there, which is a very taboo demographic, as they call us, is the uh, forgotten mourners and everything like that. I think of my brother as my past, my present, and my future. And that's really what took me back, being the first best friend. So at least in that group is there were others who could understand what I was going through. Maybe not the, the exact military experience, but at least as a sibling loss survivor, I was able to connect with many of them and have uh, very well done and professional support along the way. And I'm glad that you brought that up because, and, and this is something that you're very familiar with, but yes, we talk about parents who have lost their service member child. We had Gene and, and Howard on the show. We talk about spouses who lose their service member like Kim on the show, or even children who lose their parents. But then for you, this, as you said, and, and it was very impactful, that forgotten mourner of siblings, I've got a, a full set of them that if something were to happen to me, it would impact them very significantly. And and as you said, that resource was always there. That resource had always been there, and at least for when you were going through that. And many of the resources we talked in the show, they're out there, 
people just don't know about them. And, and I agree. And even you and I both served in some pretty significant leadership positions is you don't know what you don't know. And how do we utilize all these resources that are available to our military members, veterans, and, the, and their families? And I guess that's what this platform has done is it's opened the aperture up to so many resources that are available. And perhaps that's the greatest lesson of this podcast is there is a broad range of prevention, intervention, and postvention resources that is available. And it's just getting the word out and, and letting families and service members know that you can seek, as I would say, these outside the wire programs to help with some of the things that are occurring uh, inside the wire for your own unit, to use a deployment term. Here's this one thing, and I noticed that I, I remained here just like you remained outside of where you served in Las Vegas. I remain here in Colorado Springs, literally miles away from where I spent the last probably uh, quarter of my career. When we were active duty, we were relevant, but we didn't have the knowledge we needed. Now that we're out, we have the knowledge, but we're less relevant to the people who are still serving. How do we flip that around? I've seen great things that's going on through the Prevents Task Force, and you and I both know the mayors and the governor's challenge teams very well, is these large active duty and even guard communities that we have out there is, is having the, the mayors in those local areas get on board for this challenge so we're, we can bridge that divide and, and we can open up those gates to where, hey, letting folks know and letting the service members know that there is support within your local community. Because I personally believe that suicide prevention is a community and a local issue, which is not confined to the gates of that installation, is military members and their families are living in our communities. And you look at Nevada alone here, we have uh, one fifth of our population here in the state is veterans or active duty military. You know, at, at Nellis Air Force Base, the big one, we have about 13,000 active duty members there and almost 45,000 family members. And that's a mid-sized city in itself for that. So understanding what the resources are in your community and connecting the, the right partners and the right individuals on there to say, hey, military installation, don't try to solve this on your own. You've got some partners that are out here that are willing to help. And in fact, they're actually jumping to help the members that are on your installation. And I think that theme of connection, and you picked up on it, and you mentioned it earlier, is that's really, I think, the goal of our show is that it's just the beginning of the conversations, each of the individual conversations, and it's the beginning. It, it, this is just how I like to say it. We're not even scratching the surface. We're not even starting to rub the surface of this topic. And you have found the ability to connect and expand these conversations just off of listening to some of the episodes. Yeah, you're right. Not just one bit. Actually having personal words with Dr. Van Dalen and then Dr. Craig Bryan being in the Air Force himself, taking what he had done in Utah and bringing that out to Ohio State University with his wife. You look at the laundry list of names that you have on here, just people that I run down as you look, uh, you mentioned Howard and Gene Summers before them being down in the California area and really pushing that. I'm a big fan of Dr. Rajiv Ramchan just because of the research that he's able to do with the Bob Woodruff Foundation. And you had Sharif Pham from Operation Deep Dive and America's Warrior Partnership on there. You know, I was able to connect with their president, Jim Lorraine, and get Operation Deep Dive out here in Las Vegas to really have these researches done and really come into the back end. And then meeting other people that have lived experience that we share ideas, such as Matt Bergdahl, Tom Cruise, and, and, and Bachman out there is we talk about this thing about peer support. And Shauna mentions in, in her book, Warrior, where we talk about this tribe and this tribe mentality. And we have to have that is what are we missing most when we transition from the service? And it's usually that connection to others is we're missing 
the the highest highs that we had in our unit serving with our our best friends to our left and our right and we went in combat with them is of course we're going to trust them and we talk about our brothers and sisters in arms and I, I guess that's the thing the overlying thing is the connection is making this peer support having this outlet to share the information and share stories that you're not alone but then sharing the resources and connecting people who are doing the difficult work with one another so we can come up with best practices we can come up with new evidence-based practices that may work or are in the works and such a broad range of topics. I like the name of the podcast, Seeking the Military Suicide Solution. I, I think in this is we're seeing through listening through some of these efforts is there's no one single solution to prevent suicide. And, and I just look at everything that's being done from me personally is I'm a big fan of working out and physical activity there and breath work. So having Commander Mark Devine on the podcast talking about breath work and the seal fit and the unbeatable mind that's out there, that really resonated with me. And then for some of those who are gamers talking about stack up that's out there, we have a large gaming population in the military. And then just the others sharing their lived experience. Doctor, You had Dr. Lipov on the podcast, and I've actually had a stellar ganglion block done and talk about that experience pretty openly. Uh, I guess that's what it really boils down to is just what is out there. What works for someone may not work for somebody else, but at least there has to be others who are out there that are willing to try to see if it works for them. And see, what encourages me is, and, and hopefully you are indicative of the listeners of the show, is you took action and you demonstrated that it, it probably didn't take much effort, but it takes some effort on your part. But the people responded, right? As much as we know is Craig Bryan and his wife are nationally recognized experts, and yet they'll answer the email because they're so passionate about this topic. Barbara is going to respond to somebody if they reach out. I, I don't know of any one of our guests who, if somebody reaches out and connects with them, whether through social media or email or whatever, that they're not going to say, yes, join us in this because individual effort isn't going to solve the problem. No, not one bit. And what I liked about meeting guests through here is it fostered open communication to see, hey, have you thought of this? and providing others with different perspectives through lived experiences. And I think the big takeaway is too, is like what's going to work in one area. Like my home state here in Nevada can get very rural and we even call some of the areas a frontier as, as Kim Donahue would say to where there's not much services there. So you have to look at it from all those perspectives is, all right, so let's take what a best practice may be say in Georgia or Maryland, and let's see if we can apply it to the West or we can apply it to the Midwest and see if it can work. And, and what it's really taking is this combined effort. And that's what the beauty of this podcast is. Again, fostering the communication between people who are boots on the ground, doing the difficult work every day to prevent suicide among our military members, veterans, and their families. Yeah, I really appreciate the feedback, right? It's a colleague of mine often said that doing this is a little bit like shouting into an empty room. And you don't know if anybody's actually listening, but to hear you who have taken the journey literally with Shauna and I on this and then been able to take action, it's satisfying to me. I'm certain it's going to be satisfying to Shauna because that's exactly what we were hoping people would get out of the show. Yeah, I have to say that both of you have become good mentors to me. Any, Like I said, anytime that, that I have a question or have a thought, it, it comes up and, and we can address them professionally. 
to what we've seen at our levels of expertise. And in some regards too, is address some of this broken veteran narrative that's out there, that it's all doom and gloom and all veterans are homeless or struggling or going through post-traumatic stress or something like that. But I think you and I have shown that let's be the functional veteran. Let's tell the stories of those who have overcome these challenges and are still here. But let's honor those who have died by suicide in the right way, not to glamorize their death, but talk about their lives and what we can do to prevent those from others getting into that deep, dark pit of despair. Yeah, you know, I don't know that anyone would describe Commander Devine or General Graham or or Matt Bergendahl or Tom Cruise as broken veterans. Even though each of us have bruised or cracked, a, a, I like to say you don't get out of this uh, game without a couple dents in the fenders. But you're right, the guests, the family members, the survivors, everyone is trying to, like you said, save lives and create hope. And that's great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Any last thoughts? It's an honor to be here in honor of uh, my brother and all the hard work that so many do is I just hope for the listeners that are out there as this energy continues, we need to continue to be there for our veterans, service members and their families. Because I think if we get this right and understand this in our subset and our subculture, that we can apply some of these principles to the rest of America. And not only do we save veterans' lives and service members' lives or their families, is maybe they can learn lessons from the veteran community to save lives across this nation and save lives across the world. Absolutely. That's the hope, man. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Dwayne. I think it was great to hear Chris's thoughts on the show and encouraging to hear that he found value in it. Definitely. You know, Chris is someone, and you can hear this so clearly in this interview, who is all in the way that people who have experienced cumulative trauma, but have persisted through that trauma to find growth often are. So really, the first thing I wanted to pull out was just the cumulative impact of trauma. And you listen to Chris's story, he lost his brother Adam to suicide, the loss of other airmen, the direct trauma exposure during the Las Vegas shootings. Chris acknowledges that he's had low points but he's found so much meaning in the work that he does now. I love the part of your conversation with him, Dwayne, where you reflected on all the guests that we've had that are service members, veterans, military family members who have had many traumas, but are far from broken. They're actually the most insightful group one could imagine. Not only you and Chris, but a few others, Commander Mark Devine, Major General Mark Graham, Tom Cruise, Danica Thomas, Matt Bergendahl, David Bachman, Kim Ruwako, just so many, Akshay Nanavati, I just can't even list all of them. But these are people that have a combination of lived experience and a commitment to this mission of preventing this from happening when they can. And so it just underscores the the point that with the right support and the right insights, we can heal from trauma. And, and it can often clarify the meaning in our lives so that we can move with purpose on that meaning. And that's post-traumatic growth. I agree. I think that it definitely, and not just heal from trauma, but then transcend that and replicate that and help others. They say the the best preacher is a former sinner. And so some of the most vocal advocates against this topic, just like in other public health issues, such as drunk driving, mothers against drunk driving, it was the traumatic loss that they experienced that in healing from it, but also took that pain and that experience and built on to something different. Yeah, I really appreciated that point from Chris is to say, we're not broken, we're not damaged. 
we're actually stronger for having experienced what we did. And that really comes through in this interview with you and him. Another thing that I really wanted to pull out is how Chris talks about how TAPS frankly saved his life, but he didn't know about TAPS as a resource. The concept of these groups of individuals who exist outside the wire may be populated with people who are doing the hard work of supporting those who suffer. And for three years, I worked with TAPS as their senior director of suicide prevention, postvention initiatives, and attended these healing seminars and weekends. And we did some really powerful retreats. And just TAPS is full of people that are brave and that are impacted by their own trauma of loss and grief. And they're, they're walking with people in that valley. They know the contours of that valley of pain. And so I just wanted to really emphasize here that as Chris said, there is a world of resources out there. And the more you do work in this area, the more you realize this. One of our goals was to bring awareness to some of these resources, but at the same time, just awareness, as we've said so many times, you and me, Dwayne, it's not enough. We need to be able to move with purpose and take action when it comes to preventing suicide. Yeah, it was really impactful for me when I heard Chris say that because TAPS has been around since I think the late 90s. So 20, 25 years that TAPS yeah. has been an organization and yet people are saying, look at this thing that I just found. And it's frustrating for those individuals who are trying to make a difference and, and get the word out. But even that conversation I had with Chris, like literally I referenced that conversation with somebody I was talking to yesterday uh, about the same kind of thing. They say, wouldn't it be great if there was an organization that did this? And I said, yes, there's five that do that, yeah. but people don't know about it. And, and I think that's, like you said, one of our goals was to highlight this, bring the awareness, but also Chris did. He heard about it, but then it drove him to action to be able to share that with his formation. And so I think that was critical. Yeah, absolutely. This was a great interview. I mean, it's clear that Chris really took all of this information in, thought deeply about it, and offered us a really valuable perspective as somebody who's listened to the arc of all of these uh, shows on the podcast. Yes, uh, and I'm grateful for him. And on behalf of Shauna, we're grateful for everyone and all of you. This has definitely been an experience for us. And we have one, maybe two more shows coming up. But we appreciate everybody taking the time to check out this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS49, or by downloading the app by searching STMSS in the Apple app or Google Play stores. In the show notes, you can get the links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as finding the show on militarytimes.com. As a reminder, you can ask us questions and let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group moderated by the outstanding D. James by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. And always remember, you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1, chatting online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution. And make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest episodes. Join us next time for another great conversation. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.